We'll be in the book of Nehemiah today, uh, Nehemiah, the first chapter. You can find that in your, in your Bibles now. We'll actually be there pretty quickly uh, as my teachings uh, go anyway. I've been in Nehemiah in my quiet times for, for quite a while now and just really have, uh, have found a lot of meat there. If, if that's not a book you've read through recently, I'd really encourage you and challenge you to do it. Uh, I think as you as you read through it, you'll you'll find there's a lot there to go back and, and dig deeper in. And uh, uh, I'm reminded of Bob's joke this morning. Nehemiah was a very short man, Nehemiah, or something like that. Bob, is that what you told me? <laughs> Bob and I's humor is very similar. Mike just looked at us really strange. <laughs> Teresa would understand my humor is similar to that. Uh, he really was, Nehemiah was really a remarkable man who lived in a remarkable time. His story takes place about 2,500 years ago, and I love history as many of us do, and, and I think as you read through it, you'll, you'll find some wonderful history there from the time period of, of Ezra and Nehemiah and the return to Jerusalem, but you'll find so very much more than that. I've titled this teaching, What Can We Learn from Nehemiah or from the Life of Nehemiah? But before we get to Nehemiah this morning, uh, I have a story about another great man, Yogi Berra. Uh, Maybe hard to mention those two in the same breath, but uh, I sometimes uh, tell a a St. Louis Cardinals story to to open my teachings, but in honor of Zach's birthday, since he just doesn't like the Cardinals, I thought I'd tell a Yankee story this morning. Yogi Berra was a great Yankee baseball player, as as some of us my age and up uh, will remember and and know about, but uh, it's not his playing career that I have a a story about this morning. It's actually when his playing career was over, and he played in the late 40s and 50s and won many, uh, many World Series championships with with the Yankees, and, and so uh, he became their manager. And in 1964, Yogi Berra was managing the New York Yankees. And this particular game wasn't going well. Uh, he didn't like the effort that his team was giving. He didn't think they were playing close enough attention in baseball terms and maybe other athletic terms. We say their, their heads just weren't in the game. They, they just weren't giving their best. And, he had coached them to always give their best, and, and it bothered him. And, and Yogi, as some of you know, if you've read any of his quotes or, or heard any of his quotes, he had a very unique command of the English language, and words for Yogi Berra sometimes came out just a little differently than, than they did for most, for most people. And, and uh, they came out, and, and he said things, and it left people kind of scratching their head and thinking about it, and then upon later reflection, they'd still kind of go, huh? You know, what, what did he mean by that? Well, this particular day, his team wasn't giving good effort on the field, and they weren't paying attention, and they weren't doing well, and he steps up on the dugout step, and he just kind of cups his hands around his mouth, and he says, hey, you can observe a lot by watching. You can observe a lot by watching, said in only a way that, that Yogi could say it. But uh, I thought it fit this morning uh, in, a, in a fun sort of a way with, with Nehemiah. And it's very, very true that uh, Nehemiah's life 
we can observe a lot. We can learn a lot by watching Nehemiah. We can learn a lot by paying attention to the way Nehemiah's life unfolds in Scripture. Let me set the stage for us here this morning. Uh, the Israelites have been led out of captivity many hundred, hundreds of years earlier and into the promised land, into the land of Canaan, the land of milk and honey. And they were led there by Moses and led into the land by Joshua. They had enjoyed a period of, of victory. They had enjoyed a period of prosperity and, and even peace. But gradually, ever so gradually, they had forgotten one small thing, or maybe one very large thing. They had forgotten God, and they had forgotten God's laws and God's promises. And over a period of several hundred years, they slowly had drifted away from the one who had rescued them, had chosen them, and had promised to look after them. So what happens? We know it's going to be bad, right? Whenever we drift away from God and and what he chooses for us, it's always bad. And just like when we're disobedient today, uh, actions and thoughts no longer seek to glorify God and and we fall. But in this situation, as in every situation, God is slow to anger. God is very, very patient. And he warns them repetitively for a long, long time through prophets, many prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and, and many others, that they need to repent. They need to return to God. They need to come back to the one who chose them and redeemed them. Or there will be punishment. There will be judgment for their sin. Uh, One example of that is in Jeremiah 25. God says, But you did not listen to me, declares the Lord, and you have provoked me with what your hands have made, and you have brought harm to yourselves. The Lord says, Do not follow other gods, which they had turned to. Do not serve them or worship them. Do not provoke me to anger. But because you have not listened to my words, I will summon all the peoples of the north, And my servant, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, declares the Lord, and I will bring them against this land and its inhabitants and completely destroy them. Now keep in mind, these warnings and warnings like this one go on for years, decades even, prior to God carrying out his judgment upon upon the land of of Israel. And, And what do they do? What do God's people do? Well, they imprison Jeremiah in this situation, the one who's delivering God's message, uh, we, can, we can do the same. Uh, I don't know about you, how well do we receive criticism? How well do we receive rebuke? Uh, how well do we receive instruction, many times even, from a friend or from a teacher or from a brother or, or from a spouse, maybe for those of us husbands from our from our wives. How, how well do we receive warnings, rebukes, instructions? Uh, I've heard it said right here that good criticism is hard to come by, and uh, I believe that to be true. It's, it's precious, and in this situation, however, like certainly I can as well, uh, God's children don't heed Jeremiah and the other prophets' warning. And as a nation, they uh, are ultimately and completely conquered by the Babylonians and King Nebuchadnezzar and God's holy city, the city of Jerusalem that uh, just 
several hundred years earlier had been a scene of such celebration and worship as the, the walls and the city and the temple a bit later were, were, uh, were built and were dedicated. The city of Jerusalem is destroyed. The temple walls are knocked down. The city uh, itself is, is destroyed. The gates are burned and it lay in a pile of rubble. It's a, it's a sad, sad picture of a sad, sad day in, in Israel's history, so different from the time of celebration several hundred years earlier. King Nebuchadnezzar and all of his warriors who have, his army who have accomplished uh, this victory, uh, they think they've shown God's people that their God is no longer to be feared. They think that they are the heroes of the story. They, they think that uh, uh, even for a time, the king thinks that he's the one to be worshipped. King Nebuchadnezzar fails to recognize that all authority comes from God, even over kings and kingdoms. And uh, uh, God has allowed, even orchestrated, even used King Nebuchadnezzar to accomplish his will. But for now, Babylon rules over Israel, and many of God's people are killed. Some are left behind, but most are scattered and taken into captivity, exiled, as the case may be, from, from God's chosen land, the land of, of Canaan. Interestingly enough, King Nebuchadnezzar, and we won't, we won't go this direction this morning, Mike has, uh, has done this in the past, but he eventually does come to understand that God is the one and true God. And Nebuchadnezzar dies, I believe, a believer. Uh, see the book of, of Daniel and all of uh, the king's interactions with Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego and, and Daniel and, and the rest of that story. But for us today, Nebuchadnezzar is eventually replaced by his son on the throne in Babylon, and then Babylon is eventually conquered by the Medes and the Persians, and the Persians now are in, in charge, are ruling over Israel, over, over God's people in the city of Jerusalem, and, and that's where we find ourselves today in the book of Nehemiah, and, and uh, chapter 1 closes with the line, Nehemiah is cupbearer to the king uh, of Persia, King Darius. The reason I mention that now is, is uh, I learned this week that the cupbearer is, is a very honorable position. It's a very, uh, a very trusted person, a very trusted servant who, uh, who uh, fills the role of cupbearer to the king, someone who's very close to the king, who the king trusts with his life. And so uh, Nehemiah is living well. He is uh, enjoying the king's pleasures in the king's palaces. Uh, he really isn't experiencing the the, the trouble that many of the Israelites are having been exiled from the land. Yeah, he's aware of them. There are, there are problems with, uh, with, with, uh, with the Israelites, uh, and, and many of them are being treated as slaves, but it, it's not affecting him. Uh, as, I was, as I was thinking through this, uh, I thought that if, uh, if Nacho Libro, Libre were to say it, Dan, he would say, life is good. You know, his, his life is good. Uh, <laughs> Why should he give up the place of prominence? Why should he give up uh, the place of peace and of luxury in the king with the king's pleasures to, to take a dangerous journey to Jerusalem and work under difficult circumstances and, and rebuild a wall, which is very, very hard work to do, uh, 
with lots of enemies around, why, why should he do that? But, but he does. And let's, let's find out why as, as we get to Nehemiah chapter 1. I want to read the first four verses here uh, this morning as, as you follow along from Nehemiah 1. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah. In the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that survived the exile, and also about Jerusalem. And they said to me, Those who survived the exile are back in the province, and are back in the province, are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. What do we learn first about Nehemiah as we begin chapter 1? Well, right off the bat, we learn that the author wants us to know that Nehemiah has a heart for God. He has a heart for God's people. He has a heart for God's holy city, so much so that he's mourned. And, and not just mourned, he's mourned for days. As I was thinking about that, I was, I was sort of asking myself the question, does, does anything cause me to mourn? Does anything just break my heart so much so that I mourn for days? Uh, I've told you before that whenever I, I teach, it's a, it's a very convicting thing for me, and it usually comes out of my... Uh, quiet times where I'm being convicted, and, and this again is absolutely no no exception. I mourn sometimes, uh, but for what? Um, sometimes I mourn for others. Uh, sometimes I mourn for things that are uh, that are close to God's heart and that God has laid on on my heart. But if I'm honest, uh, usually though, it's for things that don't go my way. I might mourn for things that don't go my way at home or mourn for things that don't go well at work or I might mourn if my lawnmower won't start or my car breaks down or if I have to crawl under the house. For any of you that know our house, crawling under it is no fun thing. I have to crawl under the house to fix a wire or a pipe or do some work. I, I might might mourn. Recently I, I mourned when our lilacs were, were frozen. I don't know if you can see the theme there, but most of my mourning, as, as I'm convicted this morning, is for me, when something doesn't go my way. And I wonder if, if, if some of us don't have that same experience. Um, I, I live with someone who's much more sensitive than I and, and mourns for people and uh, cares deeply about people, and I see her uh, demonstrate and experience great pain related to others and their salvation. People, and I certainly can learn from that as I can from Nehemiah here. And I simply fall into the all about me trap very, very easily. And I think Nehemiah has something to say to us about that here this morning. Now, I do want to be careful. I do know that God cares about our homes and God cares about our gardens and our jobs. And all of those things are, are important to him as well. And he knows, he knows our needs. But the message from Nehemiah is that there's something much much deeper, something much more valuable, something eternal, something much more than the trivial circumstances of life. And there's more than me, myself, and I. There's the, there's the bigger picture. There's God's 
picture. And it was true in Nehemiah's time, and it's, and it's true for, for us today. When was the last time that, that I, that we, truly mourned for something close to God's heart? Someone you know is, is lost and needs a Savior. Uh, an unborn child, uh, the hopelessness of, of a homeless man or woman or child or family. Nehemiah had a heart for God. He spent time with God. He was close to God. So what grieved God grieved Nehemiah, and he mourned. He truly mourned. What Nehemiah did next further convicts me. He fasted. Verse 4 says he fasted and prayed, and, and we'll get into the prayed part here very soon, but he fasted and prayed for days, for days. Now, we don't talk much about fasting uh, anymore, and I'm not going to talk a whole lot about it this morning either, other than to say that when practiced sincerely, without seeking to draw attention to ourselves, uh, it certainly is a way to put God in the appropriate place and recognize him and his concerns for our life and not think so much about our own needs. It can take our mind off, off our wants and, and we can focus our, our thoughts on God and, and his will. And I think that's what we see here in, in Nehemiah. Notice it's mentioned in the same breath and it is uh, Acts 12 and 13 have some great examples of, of biblical fasting. If if you're interested in looking into that, but it's, it's always mentioned in the same breath with prayer. And it is here with, with Nehemiah. And he, he prayed, we're told, for four days. Four days. He mourned, fasted, and prayed for four days. Uh, compared to that, and probably compared to a lot of uh, prayer warriors, I'm a pathetic prayer. That, that I, 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 I just... That's the only way I could could say it as I was thinking through this. And yet, I, I realized what an opportunity I'm missing by not spending more time in prayer. Prayer is the opportunity for, for me, for us, to bring our praises and our confessions and our petitions before before God and have a conversation with Him and enter into the the throne room. And yet, I leave that laying on the table as I was... Uh, preparing this teaching this morning, I, I thought of those shows they've started having on here recently where you can call in and see if you have unclaimed property or unclaimed cash. You know, uh, started seeing these shows. I, I don't know where this property or this cash comes from, but somehow there, there are these warehouses they make, you, uh, they make you think of unclaimed property and cash, and you call in and see if you're entitled to any of it. And I've actually thought about calling in, but I haven't yet. But to me, not praying is, is kind of like not calling in and claiming what is rightfully yours. And, and I'm not saying if we pray more, we get more. Uh, certainly, God is, is not the genie in the bottle and not out just to give us all we ask for. I am sh- saying that prayer is a way that we can show our love and our obedience and be blessed before God. The great line from the movie Shadowlands from C.S. Lewis's life goes something like this, prayer doesn't change God, it changes us. The more time we spend in prayer with God, the more time we become, the, the more we become like him. And I simply don't make it the priority that I should, and that's my 
conviction and, and confession here this morning. Nehemiah does. Prayer is a priority to Nehemiah. He has a heart for God by spending time in prayer with God. Nehemiah chapter 1, continuing verses 5 through 11, we go into Nehemiah's prayer, and it's such a wonderful prayer. It speaks for itself. Then I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and obey his commands, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself, and my father's house have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly toward you. We have not obeyed the commands, your decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instructions you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizons, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was cupbearer to the king. Now that's that's a prayer, isn't it? Uh, He's contemplated the situation of God's city, God's people. He's mourned. His heart is right with God. He's fasted, and now he prays for days. And, And notice how he starts off his prayer. Dear God... Can you intervene quickly and take care of this for me? No, that's, that's not how he prays, is it? Uh, I, I love the way he starts off praying. As a matter of fact, he never even gets to the point of asking God to, to if you will, send someone else to do this job or miraculously intervene to do this job. He doesn't even go there. He starts off with adoration by exalting God, as all prayer should and I'm convicted of that in my own prayer life as well. Now, we have the benefit of the Lord's Prayer. Jesus taught his disciples to pray. And uh, uh, our Father, the first line, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Hallowed, holy, sacred be thy name. That's the way we start our time of prayer, by, by lifting God up. Nehemiah didn't even have the benefit of those instructions from Jesus about how to pray, but he, he knew how to pray. Verse 5 says, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love and obey him. Now that's, that's a prayer, isn't it? He, he lifts God, God up, so when he lifts God up, where does that leave Nehemiah? leaves Nehemiah in the appropriate place before God. And, and when we pray and exalt God, it, it leaves us in the appropriate place, down where we belong. He goes on to request that God hear his prayer. And then, does he start asking God for things? Uh, again, I'm, I'm just reminded of the fact that he doesn't. He starts, after exalting God, he begins to confess his sin and his family's sin and his nation's sin. And he still hasn't started asking God for anything yet other than that God hear his, his prayer. And he knows that God wants to do that. God has already said he's 
going to do that. So how about our prayers? How about my prayers? Are, are they times of exalting God? Are they times of repentance? How long does it take us until we get to our wish list you know, of things that we want God to do on our behalf? My prayers many times can be about me and what I want. And Nehemiah's example here is they need to be about God and exalting God. And when we're exalting God and, and lifting God up, everything else falls into place. And it sounds a lot like the teachings from Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, when we're taught to seek first God's kingdom and God's righteousness. And then everything else will will be given unto us as well. Everything else will fall together for us. Verse 8 says, Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you are faithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But, verse 9, If you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the furthest horizons, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling place for my name. Now, Nehemiah knows very well, firsthand actually, that God was serious in the prophet's warnings about scattering God's children and, and exiling them in other, in other nations in Babylon. But he also remembers God's promises, God's promise to restore Israel. How did he know about God's promise to restore Israel? Well, he knew because he spent time in Scripture. He spent time with God's Word. We learned very early on in Nehemiah's story that he has a heart for God. And now we're beginning to see how this heart for God has developed. He has a heart for God because he spends time in prayer exalting God. And he has a heart for God because we find he spends time with him in Scripture. Remember back to the uh, uh, first few verses, and as we began to learn a little bit about Nehemiah, I, I thought of the concept of prayer and Bible study and, and how simple and yet how hard that can be to put into place in your own life each and every day. In, in our Dare to Be a Daniel study, we've had this saying, no, no Bible, no breakfast. Just kind of one way to, to kind of remind us to start our day in God's Word and before we've begun to take care, take care of our, uh, our own physical needs, to spend time with God taking care of our spiritual needs. Um, how many times uh, has, has Mike, in his teaching, been able to point to the fact that we need to read our Bibles and pray? I, I can remember things like any day you eat or in, in, you know, any number of ways. He finds ways to to work that into his teaching because of how important it is. I, I think this may be the very first time I've worked it into one of my teachings. I'm a little slow in that uh, and maybe a little slow in example of practicing that as well. But I certainly was convicted that to have a heart for God, you need to spend time in prayer exalting God and confessing our sin. And to have a heart for God, we need to also spend time in, in Scripture. Now, not only is Nehemiah praying here, but uh, the other thing I'd like to share is he's praying something that he knows God wants to do. God wants Israel to repent. God wants to restore Jerusalem and, and uh, bring his people back together from, from all the, the places where they've been scattered. 
from, and, and it struck me that uh, it really makes sense to pray for something that God has told us he really wants to accomplish. Uh, for Nehemiah, this was very, very clear. Uh, his personal and his nation's repentance and the restoration of Jerusalem was something that he prayed because he knew again that it was God's heart. And it's clear for us today, we know what God desires, don't we? Um, as, as we spend time in this book, it's, it's clear what, what God desires. And we can spend time praying for the salvation of people that don't know Christ. That would be uh, the, the primary concern that, the, that this book is all about. We can spend time praying for our own and asking for our own uh, forgiveness and repentance and, and much, much more. There, there are many things that by spending time in God's Word we can learn are at the center of God's will and we can spend time in prayer about those, about those things. Uh, I continue to be impressed and able to learn from Nehemiah's prayer here. Verse, uh, verse 11, Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of the king. I, I guess I'm, I'm continually uh, impressed with the fact that Nehemiah doesn't ask someone else to intervene on his behalf, that Nehemiah doesn't ask God to miraculously intervene on his, on his behalf. No, he realizes that this was laid upon his heart uh, by God, that, that he's the man who God has called to do this job, that he's the man of the hour, if you will. It's his time to shine. It's his time to step forward and, and uh, do what he's been called to do, to lead. It's his opportunity to make a difference. And uh, he doesn't run away or shirk back or, or, uh, or uh, try to get out of this calling. He moves forward. But initially, by simply asking God to grant him the king's favor so he can begin the job. Um, as I was reviewing my notes over the course of the week, I, I was reminded of similar situations in our country. Our, our country has some struggles within it now, and, and we certainly, many struggles, and we certainly can be uh, and should be spending time in prayer for our country. But Nehemiah would say, take that one step further and act as well. Uh, Tammy, in her prayer a couple of weeks ago, shared about uh, from, from verse uh, chapters 2 and 3 of Nehemiah about how at some point when they were rebuilding the wall, they were being attacked, and so they're rebuilding with one hand and have a spear in the other. You know, they are people of action, and I think Nehemiah, in our situation, would challenge us to be in prayer for, for our country, but certainly to take action to help return it to its, to its godly, uh, godly history. Does this story from Nehemiah and 25 years ago have a message for us today in Topeka, Kansas? I, I believe it does. And as I wind down here, let me, let me summarize and share some of those thoughts with you for, for all of us to get our arms around them. Have a soft heart towards God. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 20 through 23 say this, My son, pay attention to what I say. Listen closely to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life for those who find them and health to a man's body. Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Guard our hearts and spend time in God's word. 
After King David's uh, sin of adultery in Psalms 51, he wrote, Create in me a pure heart, O God. The message for us this morning is to have a soft heart towards God and, and His will. How? By spending time with God in prayer and in His Word. Uh, do you have an important job in front of you? Do you have uh, a very important decision you need to make? Do you have a challenge that you're already working on that you feel uh, incapable of doing? The model here from Nehemiah is pray. But spend time initially in prayer, exalting God, confessing our sins, and then be willing to be used by Him to accomplish what He calls you to do. And know God's Word. Nehemiah did. He knew the end of the story, didn't he? He knew God wanted to bring God's children back to Israel. And it had inspired him to do God's will. And in our time today, we know the end of the story, don't we? We know that Jesus Christ is coming back for those of us who call on him as Lord and Savior. And, and that should also inspire us to what he's called us to do today, to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with those around us. And lastly, be willing to do God's work. Nehemiah didn't just mourn. He didn't just fast. He didn't just pray. He was very, very willing and and knew the importance of doing all those things, but he was also willing to work. He was also willing to, to put on his shoes and head to Israel and be a part of the rebuilding process like any good leader will be. And that is something I think that will benefit us today as well. Now we know as we get a few chapters down the road, in chapter 6 the wall is rebuilt, no small job, but with God's help, it's done very, very quickly. It's, it's amazing. Uh, did he face opposition uh, for the project? Yeah, he, he faced a lot of opposition, and, and um, next time I teach, I'll probably, probably go into that. It's just incredible how he handled the opposition, and, and we'll face opposition in our life as well. And uh, interestingly enough, it's just so, his response to the opposition is just so similar to how he responded to the call. He, he did it pretty much the same way. He started with prayer. He continued working hard. He was willing to fight all of this because he knew he was called for this particular time and he was willing to do what God had called him to do because he knew God would prepare him and give him the strength to do it. He had a heart for God and his people. He responded to God's calling with prayer and with fasting. He knew scripture. He knew the end of the story. And he responded by being ready to work, ready to be a part of God's will, a part of God's plan. May we do the same today. Let's close in prayer. Dear Lord, thank you for the example and the challenge that the life of Nehemiah is. Lord, I I know and I believe that you have called each of us into your kingdom. And Lord, we are so thankful for salvation that comes from Jesus Christ. And Lord, as we share that message in this world, may you help us to uh, be bold. May you help us to be strong. May you help us to, to, to remember the, the basics, the, the, the simple and yet so challenging um, ideas of spending time with you in prayer and spending time with you in, in your word. And Lord, being willing to be used by you. Lord, where each and every one of us spends our time this week, 
Lord, may we remember those things, and may you help us to shine bright for you. Thank you for the opportunity now to continue to worship you. We love you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.